0: The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. Good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. Hope you have your Bibles with you. If you do, take your Bible out, turn to Ephesians chapter 3. If you do not have a Bible with you, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you there. You could take that and use that one. But Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 19 is where we'll be today, looking at Uh, A prayer of Paul as he prays for this church. So we'll be focusing in on prayer some this morning. So Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 19. I want to read verse 14 uh, first so we can see why Paul is is praying here. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, uh, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And so Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And so we have to, of course, know where we've come from, and that's where we've been over the past uh, couple weeks together. Uh, But if you haven't been here, what Paul is talking about is Paul's been talking about this great mystery, this great mystery that God has now revealed, and he's revealed it through his son, Jesus Christ. And the mystery that Paul is talking about is that God has now united Jew and Gentile together in Christ, that all people, can now be found in Christ. It doesn't matter uh, all these other things, these outside things. It's, are you in Christ? Have you been saved by God's grace? And this is the great mystery. This is the great thing that Paul is discussing. This is the great truth that has come out and that Paul has the privilege of sharing with the Gentiles here. And this truth, this gospel that Paul has been preaching is the motivation for Paul to pray. And it really is interesting to think about because if all that Paul has said in Ephesians is true, it, think about it. He has said, we have been chosen by God. That God loves us. That God sent his own son for us. That God has united all of us in Christ. Paul has said, we've been united to each other through Christ. Paul has said that we have been a new creation. We've been and made a new creation in Christ. Paul has also said that we have been made righteous in Christ. And so as Paul lists all these things, what that drives him to, is that drives him to his knees to now go and to pray for this church. A lot of times, uh, the response isn't prayer when you think about God choosing, God saving, God doing all this work. You actually hear the opposite things. People would say, well, if that's the case, if God does this, I don't need to pray. God knows all things. God has all things planned out, and so there's no need for me to really pray. In fact, the Bible tells us something exactly different all the time. If all this stuff is true... If God is sovereign, if God has a plan, then you need to be praying. You need to be seeking after His face. You need to be speaking to Him often. And so that is what Paul does. And so my goal this morning is to look at this prayer and to see what is the prayer. What is this prayer that Paul prays? And then hopefully at the end to look at how this prayer, how it should affect our prayer life as well. How we can see this as an example for us as we seek after the Lord and as we pray. And seek after God's face. So follow along with me. I want to read all of it, verses 14 through 19, and then we'll uh, dissect it together. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Well, if we look at verse 16, this is going to be the first uh, point. When we look at this question, what is in this prayer that Paul is praying? Well, the first thing is this, that our inner being would be strengthened according to the riches of his glory. And so as he prays for this church, this is what he wants for them. He wants their inner being to be strengthened according to the riches of his glory or to God's glory. And so the very first place that Paul goes in prayer is for this inner man to be strengthened. Now notice this, we're gonna talk more about this at the end, but Paul's focus here for this church is not the outer man. What I mean by that is you don't see him pray for them to be healthy. You don't see them pray for their well-being really at all on the outside, What he focuses on here first is that their inner man would be strengthened according to these riches of God's glory. Now, that's a peculiar phrase, the riches of God's glory. What does that mean? Well, when you think about the riches of God's glory, it includes his power, it includes his might, it includes all these big, grand things that you think of, but it also includes God's mercy, God's patience, God's love for you, it includes God's grace, And so when Paul's thinking about the riches of God's glory, he's trying to think of everything that is God, everything about him, and that God would use all of that to strengthen these people and their inner man. That's what Paul wants. He wants to see this happen in the church, that the church would be strengthened by these truths of God, by these great things of God, that God, the riches of his glory would be shown to them, that they would know them, that they would understand them, and that this would strengthen them in their inner man, think about it. I think we take this for granted, especially as Christians. The God that we serve, the God that we worship, the God that we claim to, to love and to have this relationship with, he has everything at his disposal. There's nothing outside of his grasp. There's nothing outside of his reign. There's, there's nothing that isn't his. It all is his. And in the riches of this glory, and the riches of this might, we pray, along with Paul, hopefully, that our inner man would be strengthened. That our inner man would be strengthened. And we see in scripture that the Holy Spirit is the one who comes alongside of us to strengthen us daily. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to do this. Because look what it says in 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. How? Through his spirit in your inner being. We have the Holy Spirit here who, who strengthens us each and every day in our inner man. While we might be struggling on the outside, We trust that God is doing that work on the inside. This is what Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 4.16, right? He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now, if I'm being honest, this is personally, but also I see this in others. When my outer self is wasting away day by day, I'm not okay with it. That's what Paul's really saying here in 2 Corinthians. Though our outer self is wasting away day by day, Not a big deal because our inner self is being strengthened day by day by the power of the spirit. This is a blessing that we have as Christians that we have as believers. We know and we understand this body, this thing will hurt. This body, this thing is going to waste away. It's going to go away and it's going to be a difficult process. It's going to be a struggle. But as believers, we know and we understand that while this outside wastes away, We are renewed daily in our inner man. We are strengthened by the Holy Spirit through God's word. And as Paul says here, through the riches of his glory, it strengthens our inner man so that we can get out of bed again and go through the struggles again. Because we know that's going to happen. We know that's part of life because of sin and where everything is at. That is normal. But on the inside... We have peace, we have joy, we have satisfaction because we know that he has solved everything through Christ. We have been forgiven of our sins because of Christ and we are righteous because of Christ. And so the first place that Paul goes is not on the outside, but it's on the inner man and it needs to be strengthened continually. And again, this is the work of the spirit. If you practice this practice, and I, I hope you don't, but if the only time you get strengthened is here, During this hour, that's a bad deal. That's a really bad deal because this isn't enough. This is good. Corporate worship is good. It's something we are called to do every week. You know, we talk about this as pastors. It seems the new norm. If you are a faithful church member, you come about twice a month. That's what that's what it is, a faithful church member. It wasn't too long ago. If you were a faithful church member, you came three times a week. But now it's about twice a month. For the average church goer. And if that's what they are relying on to be strengthened by the Spirit, is just that. They're not in God's Word daily. They're not around other believers who are encouraging them and helping them and coming alongside of them. Well, then we're not experiencing this. And we're not able to be strengthened day by day. We need that always. I don't know about you, but for me, the joy of Sunday morning runs out by about three in the afternoon on Sunday. It's over. It's over by then. Oh, it's great, but then you get home and everyone's complaining about lunch. And you got McDonald's and I wanted Arby's and I wanted Wendy's and I wanted Taco Bell. And you're ticked off by then already and you forget about the forgiveness of sin and all this stuff that strengthened you in that moment and you're so frustrated. And really, we need to cry out to God and say, "I need to be strengthened again on the inside cuz I'm about to kill somebody on the outside." And so <laughs> strengthen me on the inside. But we are weak, we are vulnerable. And so we need daily this strengthening, and that's what Paul prays for first. Well, then look at verse, let's look at verse 17 together. He goes on, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, and we'll get to there. I just want to talk about that first part in verse 17 right now. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The grand truth, thinking about this, of what it means for Jesus to dwell in our hearts When we talk about salvation, when we talk about this work that God does for us through grace by faith, normally the first thing that we think about, we think, you know what? When God saves us, the greatest thing that he does is he gives us eternal life. We get eternal life and we get to spend eternity with him and he makes us heirs to Christ. We get all these things in Christ. That is that is the best thing. There's nothing better. That's actually not true. The best thing that we get as believers when God saves us is it tells us that Christ dwells with us. We dwell with Christ and him with us. It is is—it is not a small thing to hear that, but oftentimes we push this aside. When God does this work in our life and He he saves us by grace, he forgives us of our sins because of the work that Christ has done on the cross. He also gives us Jesus himself to dwell with us. The perfect God-man, fully God, fully man, makes his abode, makes his dwelling with me makes his dwelling with, with you as a believer. You have that privilege as a Christian. And so when it talks about the word dwell here, the word dwell here in the, in the original language, it's not, it's not like you dwelling in a hotel. It's not that. It's, it's you dwelling in your permanent residence, your home. And that is what God does here. The Christ dwells with you. It's his home, his permanent place is with you as a believer. And this is a promise that we have. And so as Christians, we receive all of Christ in all things absolutely completely. Romans chapter eight, verse nine through 11, Paul would speak of it this way. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is a promise we have as Christians. We have life in Christ. This body is dead because of sin. We see that all the way back in Genesis sin equals death. Because of your sin that's what you deserve. But in Christ we get life and we get it abundantly. Why? Because he dwells with us. So he gives life to this body. Now the question that might come up because this is the question that comes up for me is don't Christians already have Christ dwelling in their hearts? Why is Paul why is Paul praying for this church that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith? Why is he saying that? Doesn't doesn't Christ already dwell with them if they are Christians, if they, if they are a part of this church? Well, the answer to that is yes. But what Paul is talking about here is he's talking about a continued growing in Christ. Help these believers, help this church continue to grow in Christ. For this to continue to happen, a continued longing for him, a continued devotion to him, a continued love to Christ, for Christ, because of the things that he's done. And this is explained more in the next verses. So look, the second part of 17. That you being rooted and grounded in love. Now let's stop there. As our inner man is strengthened, Paul is praying that the inner man would be strengthened, that Christ would dwell in our hearts. Now he's praying that we would understand that in all of this, the foundation of it all is something called love. Again, a very popular word in our culture, but a word love. And so without love, scripture is saying, without the love of Christ, none of this is even possible. And so as we think about this, as we think about the spirit strengthening our inner man and Christ dwelling in our heart, what needs to happen is our mind needs to go to the cross. It needs to be fixed on the cross and what Christ did on there, where he showed his love for us by dying for us being killed for us his sins be our sins being dealt with on the cross through Christ this is the love that he has shown us up on that cross we cannot feel god's love know his love or understand his love without being changed by his love i was talking to somebody this morning and there are just things that we as christians have been given that other people just don't have they they're not given that. Something like prayer. I know I mentioned that last week, but people like to say these kind things to us. I'll pray for you. They just say that at a whim. But if they're not a believer, whoever they're praying to, it's not going to do me any good. They're like the prophets of Baal trying to call down fire and nothing nothing happens. We have that privilege as believers, but also as believers, we have the privilege of experiencing the love of Christ that they don't understand. When they see the cross, they don't see love. They might see something else. I don't know what it is, but for us as Christians, when we see the cross, we see our foundation. We see the love of Christ that we so desperately need in our life that we have needed. And we understand that we have experienced this love and we experience it through this way through the gospel being shared to us, by somebody telling us the truth of the gospel, by somebody telling us what Jesus did and what the cross meant and what his resurrection means. And when we hear this, God worked that in our life, how to show us his love and to show us his grace. And so as Paul continues in this progression in his prayer, we see as God strengthens us in our inner man, as Christ dwells in us, we experience the love of God. We understand this. And then this, as we grasp all this, this enables us to know and to understand his love more and more. And we see this in verses 18 to 19. Verse 18, it says, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. And he's talking about of Christ's love here. This phrase right here is what makes preaching so hard this phrase right here is what you trying to share the gospel with your cousin or with your sister or with your neighbor. This is what makes it so difficult because we try our best to share with somebody the length, the height, the depth, the breadth of the love of God. And it's hard for us to put into words. It's hard for us to try to get somebody to grasp it. We do our best. We want them to understand yet It is so difficult for us to do that. And here's the reason why. It is only by the grace of God that somebody can ever understand that. That is the only way that it can happen. I stand amazed every week that you guys don't just fall on your face before God after I preach. Just amazed. I mean, I nailed it. That's a work of God. God has to do that. I mean, when I'm up here trying to talk about the love of Christ and what he's done on the cross and all these great things, and as we're going to get into, the riches of God's glory, all this different stuff, I, I want to think that everybody's going to get so pumped and so excited about it. and Nobody could leave not changed or understanding this to see what great love he has for us. But the fact of the matter is, the Bible tells us over and over again that only God can reveal this to people. Only God can do this work. What we're trying to do when we're trying to explain explain the breadth, length, height, and depth of Christ's love, we're trying to scale this mountain. We're trying to scale this mountain of the love of Christ, and it's a never-ending endeavor. We continue to do this, and it's more enriching with each passing step. I even think it's going to be that way in heaven you're not going to go to heaven and all of a sudden just understand the greatness of God and glory. I think I think every day in heaven is going to be a growing experience to understand the love of Christ more and more and more and it's just never ending it's just a never ending experience that we'll get to understand and grasp and and hold on to and be a part of and that process starts now and as Christians we have the privilege to be able to do this one of the best things about witnessing to somebody or or being able to disciple somebody is when you see God work in their life and they start to grasp it by God's grace. It's always the same way. It's always the same way. They start to love the word of God and they want to know it more. And they start to read it and they start to have questions and they start to be curious and they start to ask good questions. And then they start to ask better questions and they start to learn how to read the Bible on their own. And they just start to devour it more and more. And all of a sudden, it's interesting because all of a sudden this love for God's word turns into something else. It turns into this love for other people to where now all of a sudden they have this passion for other people. And they're saying, if this stuff is true, well, then is it not true for them too? Well, it can be. And now all of a sudden they want to tell other people about this truth. They want their family to know about it. They're concerned about their family. And then they get frustrated because their family's not grasping it. Their friends are not grasping it. And then you can go one of two ways. You can either keep being loving or all of a sudden you can get angry and you become one of them angry Christians who think everybody else is stupid. But it always works out the same way. You see God just working this in their life and it it is such a great thing to watch and to witness. And no matter how bad I want this to happen in my children, I can't force it. I can't force it. I can force them to read books. I can force them to read their Bible. I can do all these different things, but God has to do that in their life. And so every night I could stand before them as their dad and say, look it, this is the height. This is the length. This is the depth. This is the breadth of God's love for you. Isn't this amazing? But I have to pray and trust that God will reveal this to them, that God will show this to them. And I have to make sure I'm living this out in my life of enjoying this journey of climbing the mountain of God's love and grace, of understanding him more and more every day. Like I said, it is a lifetime of doing this. And in our lifetime, physically, we just scratch the surface. I really think this is what King David was trying to do in Psalm 139. And so I just want to read the sixth verse. I think he's trying to explain this the best that that he could in Psalm 139. Listen to what he says. He says, O Lord, You have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. And then he cries out in verse six. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I, I just simply cannot attain it. See, this is the poetic words of David. Trying to explain the height, the length, the breadth, the depth of God's love. He's just saying, as I think about this, as I think of all these things about God, it's too much. It's just way too much for me. I I can't even begin to grasp it. Oh, how I think, I hope that you as a believer have tasted it. Just a little. Just a little bit. Just tasted this greatness of God because this is what God uses to strengthen us and to help us to comprehend Him more. And this is, This is where it gets fascinating. You almost get a little frustrated at Paul here because look at verse 19. He talks about all these things and he says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Well, that's a frustrating line. You want me to know something that surpasses knowledge. How do I do that? It surpasses all knowledge, but yet, Paul, you're telling me to know it. You're telling me, you're praying that I would know it in a personal way. It seems though here that as if Paul is asking for something beyond just comprehension. He uses the word know here, to know it. And you might say what he's what he's getting at here is to feel God's love or or to truly experience the truth of God's love. Now listen, I'm I'm one of the last people to be touchy-feely. I'm one of the last people to speak that way. I'm I'm one of the last people to focus on emotions in people's lives and try to try to get them emotional in the things of God. But here's just a a truth of the thing, as you begin to grasp the height, the depth, all this thing about God, if you don't start feeling it, I think you can question, are you his? Do you really grasp it? Do you really understand it? Do you really know it? Because God doesn't just change us intellectually. He changes us completely. I'm not saying you should cry all the time. I'm not saying you should get the doll tinglies all the time. What I'm saying is you should at times feel that love of God and and feel overwhelmed by the bigness of the God that we serve and feel completely overwhelmed by the fact that for some reason, God would choose me. That should be overwhelming. That's the feeling that I'm talking about. The feeling like Isaiah And when he's in the temple and God reveals himself, it's just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't be in here. I'm a man of unclean lips. I shouldn't be around you. That's what I'm talking about feeling. It's this feeling of, God, this, this, I don't belong here. I don't belong to this. But yet by the grace that you have given me through your son, I am here because Christ loved me. So it's not just something we understand or just something that we comprehend. It's something we know to be true. We know this is true. And we know this to be true. Why? Because the riches of his glory. The riches of his glory has given us the strength through the spirit to be able to understand these things, to be able to, to grasp these things. It's, it's really difficult because sometimes I can be at a track meet, I could be at a basketball game, I could be at something like that. And maybe you've had this before too. People know you're a Christian and they say, hey, I, I got a quick question for you. God in love, what's that mean? <laughs> all right, yeah, let me, let me uh, summarize this real quick with my sunflower seeds in my mouth and all this stuff going on. I mean, this is the perfect spot for this to be answered. And they probably walk away thinking, I thought this guy was a pastor. He sounded really dumb there. And it's like, yeah, probably, but I mean, you're asking a really big question here that I'm not sure how to wrap it up in a neat little package to answer your question so that you can just unwrap it and say, oh, he is good. It's not how the gospel works right? That's not how the love of God works. Some of you have been trying to climb this mountain of God's love for years and years and years and years. And you know, the top is still way up there. It's way up there. Oh, it's good where you're at. And it's, it's great to know these things about God, but there's just so much more. And so it's hard to be able to explain these things sometimes to God. Now, We need to understand, though, in light of what these things have been said, of what I've been saying about understanding this and feeling this, within the body of Christ, God speaks of us as a family. And within the family, there's there's babies in the family, there's teens, there's young adults, there's mature adults. We see this in other passages. As we walk with Christ, we're not all in the same place necessarily. Some of you have climbed the mountain much higher than others. Some of you haven't. You're still at the base You're still beginning to understand. Oh, you've been saved by His grace and by faith you believe, but you haven't grasped a ton of it yet. You're still working those things out. God is still doing that in your life. And that's okay. We do not all need to understand at the same level. But it does not change the fact of the love of God in our life that is changing us. And this is why Paul is praying for these church members to know Him more, to be able to comprehend Him more. This is what He wants for us to understand the surpassing knowledge of God. And God has made a way for us to do that again through Christ and through the Spirit. We'll continue on, verse 19, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Here we see the removal of all selfishness. That's what Paul's praying for, that every last ounce of them would be about God. That they are completely and totally dominated by the love of Christ and absolutely everything they say and everything they do. That that is what their life is about. And this here is why Paul's prayer is so practical. Because none of us are there yet. None of us are there yet. Every morning when you wake up, the first thing on your mind is probably not Christ. When you go to bed, it's probably not Christ. When you're at work, it's probably not always Christ. Now I'm guessing he's in there. I'm guessing it happens when you're with your wife or you're with your husband or you're with your kids. I'm guessing Christ is in there at times, but I can guarantee it doesn't dominate completely. And that's what Paul is praying for. He's saying, Christ be filled to the fullness, the fullness of God. Now, you might be like me and you might say, think you're a little snarky and say, well, the Bible tells me I'm never going to get there. That is true. But this is a horrible excuse for us. Because if that's the case, most of you should take your kids out of sports. I mean, if that's your goal, most of you shouldn't be even participating in sports because the reason you have your kid in sports is you think maybe they're going to be something. Chances are they're not. And so if that's the reason behind why you do that, well, then just give up. I mean, if that's what you're saying about this, well, I can never get there. I can never be fullness found in Christ. I'm just going to give up then. No. We know that one day we will be with him in glory. And as I said, I think it's going to be a daily of learning more about him and growing in him, which will be glorious. And so understand this. Paul knows that the very best thing for us is to be filled by God completely, to be saturated in the love of Christ completely. And if I could convince you as Christians this morning of anything, it would be that. The very best thing for you in your life, the best thing is that you would be completely saturated with Christ in all things, all the time and I say that because this is something I wrestle with because my inner man fights with my outer man and my outer man oftentimes says Tim I think this is going to be better and I'm saying yeah but the Bible says this is better yeah but this feels better this sounds better it looks better it looks easier you might get to bed earlier all these things keep going on and so there's this war within me And as believers, there's oftentimes this war within us, but we need to be convinced that the best thing for us is to be filled by God completely, to be saturated in the love of Christ. And so as we look at Paul's prayer, I think there is a model for us, and I'm gonna do this very fast, I promise, very fast. First of all, our prayer needs to be selfless. Paul, at no time in this prayer, does he focus on himself. Remember, Paul is in jail, He doesn't pray, God, please free me from jail. He's praying for this church. He's praying for these people. He's completely selfless in his prayer. Too often, if we are honest with ourselves, our prayer life is completely selfish. It's completely selfish. Everything we pray for benefits us. Everything we pray for is actually about us. It's our family member. We don't want to see them go to hell because that would hurt us. That would bother us. And so that's why we pray for them. We want our loved ones to be sick. Why? Because we don't want to see them sick. We don't want to see them hurt. And so that's why we pray for it. It's about us. We don't want to go through this. We don't want to have to see this or deal with this. Yet all throughout scripture, we see that we are called to not focus just on us. Not just those immediately around us. Actually, we're called to pray for all believers. We're, we're called to pray for God's kingdom to grow all over this world. And so we need to make sure that as we pray, our prayers are selfless but then also as paul prays he's 100% completely focused on god's word throughout the whole thing paul prays for these people to be driven by god and his word and when you see prayer all in the bible it is always centered on the word of god always even in the lord's prayer which we're working on in our family for everybody to have that memorized starts our father who art in heaven Hallowed be thy name. What does that do? That instantly centers us and focuses us on the one who is hallowed. That's not me. That is not you. That is God Almighty of the universe. Hallowed be your name. By the way, your kingdom come and your will be done. Not mine. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All of that comes before one iota of give us today our daily bread. And so it us in our prayer. Before any prayers happen, it is completely focused on God. God, this this prayer needs to be centered on you, in your word, and according to your word, and then we always end the prayer in Christ's name or according to his will. God, if there's anything that was just prayed out of line, don't even listen to it, please. Push it aside. We want your will to be done. And so there needs to be a focus on God's word in Prayer. The third thing, Paul here is completely focused on spiritual matters. There's no physical matters that he is focused on here. That is astounding to me. I mean, really, it's very astounding to me. All of his focus is spiritual. We do not see Paul here pray for Susie that she could be better or for Johnny to have a good time. And no doubt that was happening in the church. There were people just like us. There are people who needed those things. But as Paul would pray for this church, his focus was solely on the inner man, their spiritual well-being of this church, that they would be strengthened, that they would be the church that God would want them to be, which isn't necessarily pretty, healthy, wealthy, or any of that. It's faithful. Let them be faithful. Let them be strengthened in the inner man. I really think this is the biggest failure of most of our prayer lives. Of mine it is, I'm guessing of yours, and if I go by our email chain in the church, it's the churches as well. Our focus is almost always on the physical, right? We, we focus on the physical wellness of people or people's emotions or people going through a difficult time financially or whatever it might be. And our prayer life, please listen to this word, shouldn't be dominated by these types of prayers. I'm not saying we don't pray these types of prayers. We do. God even tells us to do that. To pray for these people. We, we should do those things. But what should dominate our prayer life is the spiritual well-being of people. That God would nourish them, that God would save them by His grace, that God would, would show them His goodness, would show them His love. That needs to be our main focus. After, after teaching the Lord's Prayer later in Matthew chapter 6, there's this little section of verses in 25 to 33. Jesus would say, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I think this is the failure of the church in the prayer life. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and these things will be added to you. Don't worry about these things. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what clothes you're going to wear. Don't focus on these things. Focus on the kingdom of God and let God handle those things. He handles it for the grass of the field. He handles it for the lilies. Do you not think you're more important than they? Trust me is what he's saying there. But yet oftentimes in our life, our prayer life doesn't show trust. It shows a huge lack of trust. It's almost like a wish. God, I wish you would heal my leg. I just wish you would. Could you maybe grant me this wish today? That's not what our prayers are. Our prayers aren't wishes. Our prayers are aligning to the word of God, focusing us on him and his goodness and his kingdom and his will to be done. So let our prayers be about the kingdom. Let our prayers be focused on the inner man and not so focused on the outer man. Again, I'm not saying don't pray for those things. but That's not what should dominate us. And then lastly, we need to understand as Christians, more fully, and I'm one who needs to understand this too, is understanding that we have all things in Christ. All things are ours as Christians in Christ. Everything. God has filled us with Christ and will continue to completely fill us for eternity. All we have ever needed, all we will ever need is found in Christ. And he has promised us that as he saves us by his grace, through faith, that we are his forever. He will not let us go. He will not despise us. He will not leave us for shame. We are his forever. I think about Miss Penny, Miss Penny Lund. She hasn't been here because she's been really sick. And I know they're talking about maybe putting her on hospice. And I know she's getting close probably to the end of her life. And we pray for her and we care for her. But if you were to talk to her, she's like, see ya. I'm out of here. I've been waiting for years for this to happen. Why? Because for her, it's not about these outside things. It's not about the outside man. God in his grace has shown her and revealed to her over the years that her inner man needs to be strengthened. And that no matter what she might face on this earth, on this planet, no matter what pain and suffering she's going through right now, it doesn't compare one iota to what Christ has done for her and fulfilled in her over and over again in her life. And soon she'll get to realize it fully. That's the hope of us as a Christian. That, that is what our prayer life should be centered on and, and focused on is that God would reveal himself to us as believers, more and more every day so that we can be strengthened in our inner man to serve him and to honor him and to love him how we should because this is the best thing for us. It's the best thing for us. It's better than money. It's better than fame. It's better than security. It's better than anything else that you can think about. Having the love of Christ and the fullness of God dwell in us each day is better than all things. The Bible says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven or neither moth nor rust destroy. We need to do that in our prayer life as well as Paul has led us here. And so I hope that you take his word. I hope that you hear it this morning. I hope that God shows you the truth of it. And I hope that it grows us according to his word in our prayer life and in other areas as well. Let's bow together and pray. And then we'll sing a song and have a time to respond to the word of God. God, we thank you for your word. I thank you for working in the Apostle Paul's life to pen this letter and that we have it today, that we know it to be true. God, all throughout your word, you call us to pray. You call us to seek after you. And God, we struggle with that time-wise. We struggle with that probably content-wise as well. God, I... I ask that you would help us to seek your face in all things. God, I know that you have a desire to hear about our needs and our wants and all those things. You do, you're a loving father. You want us to pray for those who are sick. You want us to share with you our hurts. But God, help us to understand that as we do that, you already know these things. That you love us so much that you know every single thing about us, the hairs on our head. And so, God, I pray that that wouldn't dominate our prayer life, that that wouldn't dominate our conversations with you. God, I pray what would dominate it is your word. That we'd be focused on your word, that we'd be aligned with your word, that we would seek after your kingdom and those things first. And so, God, help that to be real in our life and evident in our life. God, we pray for our family members that you would reveal yourself to them. God, those who maybe proclaim to be yours. They would say that they're Christians, but God, their life is very contrary to that. And God, we know that it's difficult for us. You know this too. If we were to share that with them, that we don't know if they're Christians, they'd just be angry and mad at us. God, I pray that you would reveal that to them, that you would save them by your grace, that you would help them to see the vast love, as this word said, the height, the depth, the breadth, the length of it. God, help us to understand that more each and every day. God, I'm, I know that if Monroe Missionary Baptist Church was filled with Christians trying to scale that mountain of Christ's love every day, of being open to hearing your word and seeking after your face, being saturated with the love of Christ, God, what a united place this would be. What a God-honoring, glorifying place this would be. So God, God, Help us, each as individuals, to do that. By your grace, help us to understand the knowledge that surpasses all understanding. Help us to be people of prayer. God, I pray that that would spill out, to be people who love others and serve them. God, thank you for your goodness. Be with us now as we sing this last song. Help us to worship you how we should and help us respond to your word, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand, let's sing. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.